Nathan and I have been, over the last couple of weeks, have been talking quite a bit about Job. You may or may not hear just uh, in, the, in the coming weeks, Nathan uh, may or may not be preaching from the book of Job, but we've been talking a lot about it. And this morning, just this, this I, I just hadn't been able to get this out of my, uh, out of my mind, this God's response at the very end of the book of Job, where God is, is speaking and responding to all that has been said in the book uh, up to that point. And, and God asks a question and he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. God is talking about all that he has done in creation. And I think about how, the, how scripture tells us that God has placed the stars in its place and knows their limits and knows their boundaries and is, has called each one by name. And, and it's it just been in my mind this morning as I came in this morning and just thinking about this moment and us gathering together, it just the thought occurred to me, could the God that did all of that, that is a power beyond what you and I can imagine. God sets the stars in place, not one is lost, and he knows each one by name. And you and I probably this morning looked for our car keys. God is beyond what our limits and imagination can fathom. Can the God that placed the stars in their place, is that God not well acquainted with your situation this morning? Does that God not know exactly what you and I walked in here with? Does that God not know the deep questions of our heart? Does that God not know the brokenness and the hurt of our past? Does that God not know the prayers of our heart that we have not even uttered? Does that God not know exactly where you are this morning? The truth is he knows every single one of us in here this morning. He knows our thoughts before we think it. And I wonder what might happen in this room if we were to let that God have his way with us. If we might say to that God who knows what you need this morning, God, you know what is best for me. God, would you show me? Would you teach me? Would you speak truth? Does he not know? Can he not give good gifts to those who ask. And that's our text this morning. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter seven. And I just would challenge you, just before we even get started, what might that look like for you this morning? To have a conversation with the God who knows every single thought in your heart. What might it look like to have an encounter with him this morning? Well, we're gonna continue in the Sermon on the Mount. We took a little break last week. We introduced our, our Wednesday night studies, which are going right now. We've got four more weeks and would love for you to be part of that. But we're gonna jump back in to the Sermon on the Mount. And we're gonna be in chapter seven. 
And we're going to go through verse 12 this morning from, from verse 7. So verse 7 through 12. And uh, we, we are uh, picking this up right after Jesus has talked about the, the dust, the speck in your brother's eye and the log in your own eye. But all this kind of the precursor to all this is that Jesus has announced that the kingdom of God has arrived in him. And not only is Jesus demonstrating by healing and by teaching what happens when God's kingdom crashes in and makes uh, an appearance amongst the domain of darkness, he's demonstrating it, but he's teaching and calling people to himself. He's calling people, literally coming into the world and saying that the kingdom of God is here and I want you to be caught up in it. I want you to be a part of it. So what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting people into the kingdom. And people are coming and he's sitting here on the hillside and the scripture says, Matthew tells us that he sits on the hillside here and he's teaching those who have said that they're gonna follow him in some way. And people surely in that, in that moment range in terms of where they're at with him. Some I'm sure are curious about him. Some are sure, I'm sure are all in and they are pressed in and this is, this is the guy, this is the Messiah, I'm gonna follow him. And some maybe are there just trying to catch him, but the point is they're following him and Jesus is teaching them what it looks like when the kingdom of God shows up. He's teaching them what, uh, what humanity needs and how broken we are, how at the core of our heart we are broken and in need of a rescue and he's teaching them what it looks like to follow him. And in chapter seven, we said this, this is where Jesus is gonna start talking to us a little bit about what it means to be a community of those who have chosen to follow him. And, and, this, and he starts it out by saying not to judge so that you would not be judged. And we talked about that last week. And the point was that we need one another that it is not an option for us to be individual Christians just in our own little isolated world doing our faith thing by ourselves, but we need one another. And sometimes in this family, we're gonna have to have hard conversations with one another about the hurt and the brokenness that is in our lives. And what Jesus has just said to this group of followers is, is he said, be careful. Be careful when you have these conversations. Make sure you know why you're calling your brother or your sister out. Make sure you're not calling them out just to make yourself feel better. And so how do I do that? Well, I do that by taking one long look at myself. And I might find that there's a plank in my own eye that needs to, with humility, be removed. I need to come before God on my own. The point is that there's some self-reflection. There's a time where I need to be before God, where I remember the mercy and grace that he has for me. And then I go and I approach my brother in that same humility, in that same need of grace. We together come before God with our brokenness. And now Jesus in this section, Jesus is gonna turn to prayer. Now, I don't want us to get, I know that we have to break this up just for the sake of time, but I don't want us to get lost in the whole big picture of what's going on. Remember that at this point, Jesus is talking to them about being a certain kind of family, about being a community of Christ's followers. That's why he said what he said about judgment. And he has not shifted gears. He is still, in this text that we're gonna be in this morning, he is still talking to them about their communal engagement, about them being together, and he's gonna talk about prayer. Now, how many of you know that he's already talked about prayer? Yeah, in chapter six. In chapter six was where Jesus teaches us how to pray. Now, I just wanna say for a second here that if, you, if you've noticed 
that in this very short sermon, Jesus has now brought up prayer multiple times. And just kind of take a notice of that, take inventory of that, that it may be that prayer is a really, really, really important element. It's a really important piece of following him and of of what our life looks like together. And so I wanna just first say that if Jesus is giving us instructions about asking and seeking and knocking, about coming to him in prayer, don't you believe and don't you think that praying is a significant part of what life should look like amongst his people? That seems like an elementary Maybe statement, you may go, duh, well, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's, of course, prayer. But prayer here is a marker. Jesus is teaching this community to pray. And so the assumption is, and just don't move past this quickly, the assumption is that people that belong to him together are a praying people. Are we a praying people? Is prayer a thing that marks us out as significant as our belonging to him? If we belong to him, the assumption is that we are a people who by nature, just by the fact that we belong to him, we are a people who pray. And I think that a sad, sad, sad reality is that actually it's not one of the markers amongst God's people. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pile on here, but I'm saying if you were to just take a survey of churches How many of those churches, one of the things that would stand out about that group is that they pray together? Well, it's one of the things you notice before you notice anything else is that this group of people, they pray together. Jesus seems to believe that prayer as a community is a important and foundational piece of what our lives together ought to look like. He seems to say that we are, as a people, we are an asking, seeking, knocking sort of people, right? He just assumes it in here because what he's telling us, what he's telling us is what happens when we do ask and seek and knock. He's not here telling us, listen, now I know that you've never done this before, but if you're going to belong to me, you've got to ask and seek and knock. He just assumes that the kind of people we are is the kind of people that are asking our Father, that are seeking our Father, that are knocking on the door. That's just who we are. But as we read this, particularly as we get into verse eight, and it says, who everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. How many of you, if you were just being honest, you don't have to show your hand, but maybe raise it in your heart, God sees it, wink, wink, one of those kinds of things, right? How many of you read those words and you are immediately suspicious? We read those words of Jesus and we go, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, but what's the catch? (laughs) See, because you and I are trained in suspicion. You probably have heard the phrase, there is nothing that is really free, right? We're trained in suspicion. We watch the ads, we listen to the commentators and we're constantly thinking, I wonder what the angle is here. 
I wonder what they really want from me. I wonder what they're really trying to get at. I wonder what's really going on here. The point is that we are trained in suspicion. And I think many of us bring that suspicion into this conversation. And we hear Jesus say, whoever seeks, finds. And we go, uh, tell me the rest. Sure, maybe that's in chapter eight somewhere where he comes back to that and he says, actually, you remember when I said earlier that's not really true? Here's a couple of the, you know, the fine print. Listen, I, 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 I geek out about basketball. You guys know that. So one of like the things that I uh, love to do is I love to listen to NBA podcasts. And there's now this, uh, this whole uh, world of sports gambling that has just exploded. And you can gamble everywhere and anywhere and however, whatever. And I just wanna, if you just wanna, wanna waste your money, go ahead, you just jump right on in. Uh, but the point is that at the end of those ads, there's a whole like five minute section of small print. And because it's radio or whatever, podcast, they have to say it all instead of it just being the fine print at the bottom. And it's literally like two and a half minutes long, all the different things that could happen to you if you gamble and who to call and blah, 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 blah. And they're saying it faster than I'm preaching, which I know is remarkable, but they are going fast. The point is, the point is in the ad, it sounds good. But if you listen to the fine print, they're like, and also if it wrecks your life, call 1-800, this wrecked my life, right? <laughs> but it sounded so good. It sounded like I could just, yeah, win a lot of money, right? But then it's like the fine print. You see what I'm saying? The point is, listen, there's always fine print. We're always suspicious. We are trained in suspicion. And so we, we hear Jesus say this seemingly unqualified statement. Jesus says nothing about any sort of qualification to this. And we hear it and we're suspicious. We're taught to be suspicious. And the other thing that harms us, I think, in hearing this is that many of us grew up uh, in a very pull yourself up by the bootstrap sort of way. And Jesus appears to be telling us that we should be asking, seeking, and knocking. We should be looking for help. We should be seeking him continually. And we have been trained that that is weak. No, 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 no. You figure it out for yourself. You get it done yourself. You find a way. And so when you pair that with suspicion, you've got a recipe for hearing Jesus not really knowing what he meant and just moving along, never actually praying. But here's the deal. Remember what Jesus is doing here. We cannot lose this. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. Remember, we know what that means, right? We know that the kingdom of God means the reign of God. God has arrived. God's kingdom has broken in. God's kingdom is, the, is where what God wants to be done is done. It's where God's in charge and God has broken in. His kingdom has arrived and Jesus is calling people to himself to be part of and live under the reign of God. That's what he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that. And so what he's saying is he's talking to them about what does it look like when we pray under the reign of God, meaning when we belong to God's house, what does prayer look like? And here's where our suspicion is gonna be challenged. Because in the kingdom, in God's house, when we belong to him, we live not under qualified statements, not under performance-based statements that if you do this, then I'll do this. In God's house, we live under promise. 
in God's house, and we've been brought into the kingdom through the person of Jesus, we live under a promise. And that promise is specifically as it relates to prayer. Look at verse 11. What is that promise? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What is that promise for those of us that have been brought into the kingdom? Well, the promise is that we will be dealt with according to the good nature of our Father God. When we belong to him, when we come into the kingdom, in and through Jesus, the promise is that we will be dealt with according to the good nature of our Father God. And whatever our backgrounds are coming in, we're all gonna end up in the same place. Whatever our backgrounds are coming in, and every one of us has a different background as it relates to that word Father, but regardless of where we came in, we all have to learn. And what is it that we're learning? We all have to learn how to live new in the household of a good and perfect Father. Jesus doesn't say that only those who have really struggled are the ones that need to learn. Only those with really crummy fathers are the ones that need to learn. No, every single one of us has to, has to learn to live new in the kingdom with whatever our earthly fathers are being a shadow, a signpost of what is to come. But all of us, the moment that we enter into God's kingdom through Jesus, we have to begin to learn fresh what it is to live in the household of a good and perfect Father God. And watch what Jesus says. Look at verse nine. This is right after he said, and I wanna just remind you of what he said, if you ask, he says, everyone who asks receives. Those who seek, find. And those who knock, the door will be opened to you. And he says then in verse nine, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him serpents. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Notice that Jesus, in, in, in all three of those examples, when we're asking, seeking, and knocking, Jesus did not say what it was that you were going to get. Did you see that? His statement does not include what it is that you will receive specifically. Jesus doesn't say when you ask, he will give you back the exact answer you were expecting. When you seek, he will give you that thing that you were expecting to find. Or when you knock, that door that you were thinking would open will be open unto you. Jesus does not tell us any specifics about what it is that will come back to us. He does not say what door will be opened and where it is that we will now enter into. He does not give specifics. What is Jesus doing? He's teaching us how to pray. And learning how to pray requires for us to pray. You with me? We cannot learn to pray by reading a textbook. We cannot even learn to pray by just listening to the words of Jesus. We pray 
We learn to pray, rather, by praying. And what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is encouraging us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Why? Because the thing that Jesus will guarantee us is not what we will get back, but who we will find in our asking and seeking and knocking. Are you with me? This is important. Most of the time, we see prayer as a means to an end, not as a means to know him. We pray because we want an answer to a specific situation. We pray because we want to be released from a specific stronghold. We pray for whatever the the, the ends are. Most of us don't actually pray with the aim to know him. And what Jesus is saying here is that when we ask and seek and knock, we will get something back every single time. Now, you ready for the catch? Here's the catch. It might not be what you expect, but you're going to get something. Everyone, everyone who asks receives. Jesus, what is it that I will receive back? Will it be an answer to the question that I asked? What, Jesus, what is it that I will receive? And Jesus does not answer the specifics of that question. Rather, he says, you will receive what is good from your good father. Now, why would he teach us to pray that way? Why is it that Jesus would not say, well, here's the formula. <laughs> Because he's teaching us how to pray. And teaching us how to pray means that you and I know first that we are to be an asking, seeking, knocking people. And that when we are that kind of person, that we will have an audience before our Father. And he will not, regardless of whatever it is that we come with, he will never turn us away. Instead, what you will receive back is a good and perfect gift from him. And the idea is, That if I will engage in that kind of life over and over and over and over again, if I become the kind of person that asks and seeks and knocks, what is it that I will be growing in? You with me? Is anybody connecting these dots? What is it that I'm growing in as I'm asking and seeking and knocking? I'm growing in my knowledge and understanding of who he is. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the moment, the one thing that is absolutely happening is that when I pray, when I come to the Father, he does not turn me away. Rather, he gives me a good gift, whatever it is that I need, and I now know more about who he is. And it is the knowledge and the understanding on the heart and relational level of who God is that teaches me to pray. You see... Prayer is supposed to be a relational process where we begin to know and discern the heart of our Father God. And the idea is that the more we encounter him, the deeper our knowledge of who he is, the more and more and more that you and I will begin to pray according to his will. 
See, when I begin to pray, it's gonna be chaos. (laughs) When I come into the kingdom, I got all sorts of things that gotta be worked out. I'm a mess. And how many of you know that if I'm a mess, my prayer life is gonna be a mess? God, I want this, I think I need that, I think this change, I think, right? It's chaos. But what am I doing? I'm asking, seeking, knocking. And as I'm asking, seeking, are you guys here? Are you guys good? As I'm asking and seeking and knocking, I'm in a relational context with my Father God, and I am learning from Him. And He is changing me, and I'm learning when I'm praying for something that I actually don't need. (laughs) But I still ask for it. And instead of giving it to me, he said, Kendall, I'm not gonna give you that at all, actually, because that's dumb. (laughs) And your life would be a wreck if I gave you that, so here's this instead. Let's talk about this. You with me? And then what happens? And then I go, oh, okay, so that's what I need because that's what you're like and this is what my life's supposed to look like. And do you see? Now, if I do that over and over and over and over and over again, then what's happening to me? I'm being transformed because I'm learning what he's like. I'm learning what the kingdom of God is about. I'm learning what God values. I'm learning all the way. And as I learn, then my prayers, instead of being this crazy shotgun mess, are gonna become more and more and more in tuned to who he is and what he wants. And the idea is that as I grow in maturity, that I should start asking for things that God can say yes to. You with me? And why would God say yes to those things? Well, because that's what's in its heart. And how would I know that? Because I've missed a thousand other times and I've learned. The point is that asking and seeking and knocking people are the kind of people that are in a constant back and forth, a constant conversation between them and their father God. And they are learning who he is and what he's like. And as his children learn what he's like, they begin to align with who he is and his will where their prayer life now starts to look a whole lot more like the prayer life of, huh, I don't know, some guy, um, Jesus, did Jesus ever pray out of alignment with the will of God? No. Why, is it because he had all the smart prayers logged back in his brain? Nope. It's because he had perfect relationship with God because he knew the Father. And because he knew the Father, he prayed according to the Father's will. And the idea is that the more and the more and the more and the more that you and I actually pray, the more that we get to know our Father and the more that we get to know our Father, the more and more and more our prayer life is gonna look like the prayer life of Jesus. You know how we always say at the end, in the name of Jesus, amen? You know that line? It's a required line. (laughs) If you were in church long, you would think, okay, I gotta say, amen's not enough. It's in the name of, right? You know what that phrase literally means? As if I were. To do anything in the name of is to do something as a representative of. (laughs) That's what I meant in, in, in Bible speak. 
is to do something in the name of, man, I'm representing, I'm, I'm, I'm as that person. It'd be, like, uh, it'd be like if I gave you my credit card, which I won't do and it wouldn't benefit you anyway. <laughs> you're, you're doing business with that card in my name. You see it? And I hope you're responsibly doing business in my name if you have my card. But see, that's the idea. Where is it that we, how do we get to a place where we pray in maturity? How? What did he say? By doing what? By praying. (laughs) Without praying, you will stay immature in your prayer life. If you are not willing to go through having an immature prayer life, which by the way, if you're ashamed of that, everybody in your hand in here can raise their hand. All 100% of us, we will all have an immature prayer life. At some point, it's a bridge you have to cross. You cannot avoid it. Nobody comes into Christ and then like, ah, like has this perfect prayer life. It's not a thing. The question is whether or not we will stay there or not. And most of us, what happens to us is we stay there because we're afraid of getting prayer wrong. Are you with me? And we read that passage in James chapter four, verse two, where James is like, you have not because you ask not and yet you don't have because you pray for your own things, right? So you can spend them on whatever you want. How am I gonna know that without praying? Thanks, James. And is it true? Sure. When I pray for something that is not actually in God's will, when I pray for something that is for me to spend on my own desires, what Jesus is saying here is that you'll receive something back. It won't be what you asked, (laughs) but you will receive something good from God. And that good thing will help you to know that what you prayed in the first place, wait a minute, that was more about me than it was about God, you see. But the only way we get to right prayers is through wrong prayers, (laughs) And don't do the Sunday school thing with me where you're like, there's no such thing as wrong prayers. There is. There is. There, are, there is such thing as prayers that are outside of God's will, okay? But God does not turn us away when we pray outside of his will. You with me? God does not banish you from the household when you pray outside of his will. What he does is he comes to you and says, let me teach you what maybe that you think you need. Let me teach you about what you actually need. Let me give you something good. That's the household that we live in. We learn to pray by praying. The promise of Jesus is that you will never be turned away. Ask, seek, knock, you will never be turned away. The promise of Jesus is that what you will be given will be given out of the goodness of a perfect father. Now, we get to this strange verse, verse 12. Kind of hard to know what to do with this verse. Does it go with the previous section? Does it go with what's next? Is it a summation statement that just kind of stands by itself? It's kind of a puzzling spot. How many of you have heard this as the so-called golden rule? You heard verse 12 is the golden rule. Okay, I'll read it for you since only one is raising there. Good, okay, a couple more. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. Now this is a, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with this verse? Now, here's my hunch. 
My hunch is this very, very, very much has to do with everything that came before it. That what this is, what we're seeing here in verse 12, is two things. Number one, it is connected to what he's just said about judgment and prayer. But it's also a bit of a summation statement of all the other things that he has already said. And how do I know that? There's a sneaky one in there. It's not the word therefore. It's a different word. What's the beginning? Verse 12. You guys see it? What's the word? So. 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 Remember everything I just said? (laughs) And then he makes a statement. So is another therefore. There's just no cute phrase for it. So you'll just have to make up your own, right? Interestingly enough, this idea that Jesus is about to, to, to give, the, the so-called golden rule, do to others what you want them to do to you. Uh, Jesus actually wasn't the first to emphasize this concept. He certainly wasn't gonna be the last. Jesus, this isn't something brand new to Jesus. It may startle some of you. It's an interesting thing to think about that this idea had been given before but, and, and taken by itself. What it looks like on the surface is kind of this humanism where what we try to do is we try to do the best good for everyone possible and the least harm. That's what it feels like Jesus is maybe saying here. But here's the deal. If we take this all the way out of the the Sermon on the Mount and sit this over by itself, here's a question. What happens when we do to others what we want done if the love of self sits at the core of who I am? Huh? Think about this for a second. See, because what the Bible says and what Jesus has been emphasizing over and over and over again is, look, there's a problem with humanity. And the problem with humanity is not in what they're doing. The problem with humanity is who they are. They are broken and corrupt at the core because why? At the core of their heart, there is an idolatry. There is not a proper worship of God. There is a worship of self as God. And this leads to all sorts of violence and havoc and injustice and cruelty. All of what you see out there comes from this idolatry from within. So do to others what you want them to do to you sounds great, but what happens? if at the core of who you are, everything is about you. Then what happens to your doing unto others? All it is, is a manipulation of others for your own benefit, you see? But Jesus doesn't just say this off by itself. And people have tried to take those rules and apply them without the gospel, and it falls apart. Jesus says this at, the, at, at a climactic point in this sermon where beforehand, if we were to just read straight through what Jesus has said to us, if you go back all the way into chapter five, is Jesus has given example after example of just how broken we really are, of how corrupt we are, of how our hearts are in massive need of renovation and transformation and rescue. This is what Jesus is saying is the problem. And so he gets to this climactic point and he says, okay, now do to others as you would or you wish 
that they would do to you, do also for them. And he says, this is the law and the prophets. Okay, so what's he saying? Jesus places the law-fulfilling command at the, at the climactic point of his message where he's been talking about a renewed heart, forgiven sin, belonging to the Father, and seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. This is a fulfillment sort of statement. And the idea is what Jesus has described in detail all the way up to this point is what happens to us when our hearts are renewed, when our heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh and we're filled by God's spirit, what kind of people do we become? And what is the description of the kind of people that we've become? We've become the kind of people that love God and love others. You see it. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus will be really, really, really clear. He will say that love is the fulfillment. Love is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Back in chapter five, Jesus says that I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He is fulfilling the law in and of his righteousness and calling us to be people who walk in fulfillment of the law. How? Because we are people who have had our hearts replaced we are dead people who have become alive. We are people who the worship of self has been displaced by the worship of God. We are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. We are becoming loving people. What flows from us is the fulfillment of the law. And if you have your heart renovated, then now doing to others as you would have them do to you looks like loving one's neighbor as yourself. Did you guys track all that? Sort of, we'll hit it next week maybe, okay. You see, the point is without, without the forgiveness of sin, without the renovation of the heart, without the fulfillment of the spirit, all that statement can do by itself is another version of humanism. But through, in and through the work of Jesus to make us new in belonging to him, the new heart and the filling of the spirit causes us to be people who walk in fulfillment to the law like who? Like Jesus. You see, all this circles back around. Who is it that perfectly displayed for us what walking in fulfillment to the law was supposed to look like? Jesus. And what is it that we're becoming when we give our lives to him? We are becoming like him. We ought to be people who are becoming more and more, by the power of God's spirit, people who look and act like Jesus, fulfillers of the law of love. And the idea is that with all of that, then the natural byproduct is that I can do to others what I want done for me. Why? Because love is now at the center. Love of God, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and no longer love of self. You with me? So here's the invitation. You may think, wait a minute, how, do, how does that go with the prayer piece? How does that, how does that all go together? Becoming those kinds of people has everything to do with everything that Jesus has taught up to this point. 
becoming the kind of person that can do unto others what I would have done to self, becoming a love kind of person, a law and prophet fulfilling kind of person, a person like Jesus has everything to do with everything he's taught to this point, which is in essence, having this broken hard heart corrupted by sin, torn out, being forgiven, not of the bad things that I've done, but being forgiven for who I am, for the rebellion against God that I have been in from day one, handing over to him that hard heart of stone that says that I am God, handing that over to him and allowing for him in the perfect work of Jesus in his death and in his resurrection to forgive all of my sin, to make me new and to in that place of a hard heart make me alive, literally for me to be born again, made alive again in relationship with him, filled with his spirit, learning to live as Jesus lived. That's the process by which I become someone who walks in love, walks in the fulfillment of the law. And I wanna invite you to stand this morning. And before we started, I said, <laughs> look, God knows exactly, exactly what you need, exactly what you're wrestling with, exactly what it is that you came in here with, the questions you're asking, the brokenness of your past. He knows, he knows every bit of it. And I don't, know where, I don't know where the Lord has found you today. I don't know what he's saying to your heart today. I don't, know, I don't know how it is that the spirit of God is working, but the invitation is literally a space in our service where we just wanna stop and say, let's create some space for us to interact with God, for us to be obedient. Maybe for you this morning, you've been led to a place where you've realized that I've never prayed because of, I've, I've just, I don't pray because I'm afraid I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm not an asking, seeking, knocking kind of person because I never knew how. I've always been afraid to start. And maybe today the invitation is literally, you've seen God in a new way. You've seen God as a perfect father that says, I don't care if you know how to do it right, come to me. Maybe today the beginning for you is to begin to pray. And it's okay if it's messy. It's okay if what comes back to you is the good and perfect gift of God that's like, actually, let's not, talk, let's not pray about that. <laughs> let's talk about something else. He's good. Maybe this morning your eyes have been opened for the first time to the fact that if you were to actually love, <laughs> if you were to actually give somebody what you would give yourself, it'd be a pretty rotten gift. <laughs> and maybe that's because at the center of your heart is not the worship of Yahweh, <laughs> but it's the worship of whatever your name is. And maybe this morning, the thing that needs to happen is that you need to be displaced from the throne. I have good news for you. The God of the universe loves you. And you are aware of what you're aware of this morning, of your need for him because he loves you. And he has made a way for you to be rescued out of all of that. 
He has made a way for you to no longer be dead in the worship of self, but he has made a way for you to be alive in the worship of him in relationship with him. And that way is Jesus. Jesus' death and his resurrection have made a way for you and me to be alive in him. And in all that he asks is for everything. <laughs> That's it. Lay down all that you are, all that you're currently pursuing, and place your life in his hands. And he promises to make it new. He promises to heal you, to restore you, to make you new, to bring you into relationship with him, to forgive you of your sin, and to be with you forever. And if that's you this morning and you wanna pray with somebody, I would really encourage you to go out these double doors here, find somebody to pray with. If you wanna spend time just with your face down before the Lord, if maybe this is the place where you need to begin to pray, I would invite you to just respond in whatever way it is that the Holy Spirit is leading you this morning. God, we trust you. And we thank you that you don't ask us to have it all right when we come to you, but that you just say, hey, come, just come ask, come seek, come knock, I'll be there. You're never gonna be turned away. I will always give you what is good when you come to me. I thank you for the promise, not of what we will receive, but of who we will meet, that you are our good and perfect father. And we trust you with our lives. Amen.